Hi everyone, I'm Daniela, and you're listening to the Pet Vet Exchange, a podcast by Mella. In today's episode, Dr. Krista Sirwad joins us to talk about behavior in cats. We chat about how cats hide their pain so well, how to notice very subtle changes in behavior, and how you can help your furry friend at home as well as a vet clinic. everyone, I'm Daniela from Mela Pet Care, and today I'm joined by a very special guest. This is Dr. Krista Sirwa, or Dr. S, because if you're listening to me and also reading it and you realize it's probably not a very phonetic name and you're as confused as I was, just we'll just call her Dr. S for the purpose of this podcast. And she is a veterinarian specializing in behavior medicine at Paz Veterinary. So Dr. S, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat about some behavior stuff. Yes, this is going to be very exciting. I love chatting about behavior, especially with veterinarians. Um, But before we dive into this big daunting topic, would you like to just break the ice by introducing yourself and giving some personal background? Sure. I uh, have been working in the veterinary field since I was 16 years old. So I've done everything from kennel technician all the way up to doctor. And I went to vet school after being a technician for several years. Uh, During that time, I got a special interest in the behavior area of things. And so immediately following vet school at LSU, I did an internship in Northern Colorado in small animal medicine and surgery, and followed that up with a three-year residency specifically in veterinary behavior uh, down at Florida Veterinary Behavior Service with Dr. Lisa Radosta. And I am still in the process of finishing my kind of tasks so that I can sit for boards and, you know, be all official after I pass my test. But I am still practicing daily uh, veterinary behavior medicine here in Austin now at Pause Veterinary, and I'm loving it. So that's most of my history. No, I love that. An impressive history really just hopped around the country. And I bet some listeners do recognize Dr. Lisa Radosta, who we had on the podcast a while ago now. But yeah, she was on. So it's fantastic. We're coming full circle. We're getting all of your friends. We're picking them off and (laughs) having them on the podcast. Um, But yeah, no, we're here today to talk about a topic I know is true and dear to your heart. Uh, And so to start off as just like a little bit of an intro what would you say are kind of the most common behavior problems that you see specifically in cats who I know you love? <laughs> yes, I do love cats. They're kind of my first love of behavior was cats because I realized even people who work with cats often may not quite understand them as well as we would like. And so that's kind of what got me into the behavior world to begin with. And I love that cats are just so subtle about things and you really have to be paying attention to get a sense for what's going on. So in general, the most common things that we see is behavior problems, aside from the nuisance things like scratching, which I would say, you know, don't usually come to see the behaviorist. We tend to see urination or defecation outside of the box. Nobody likes living with that problem. That's a big one. 
we see aggression either to other cats in the household or since I've moved to Austin, I've actually been seeing more cases of cats being aggressive to people in different situations. So those are kind of the primary things that we tend to see as behavior concerns uh, in the vet clinic. But it kind of depends whether or not parents are going to even bring that up with their vet. So it's a good thing to be aware of and be asking about so that we can make sure we're addressing these issues uh, when they're present. And so what do you feel kind of affects these behaviors the most? Is it health, pain, other factors? Like what can cause a cat to urinate or defecate outside of the box? Oh, that's a big list. (laughs) (laughs) But your question about, you know, health and pain is always the first place you want to go because anything that's happening in another part of the body is certainly going to affect how you feel and how you interact with the world and pain in particular, cats are really good at hiding stuff. Mm -hmm. So they may experience things like uh, inflammation of the bladder that causes pain when they urinate. And they may associate that with being in the litter box. And then over time, the box becomes something scary because it might predict that it's going to hurt. We see the same thing in cats that have been declawed and have arthritis or, you know, other physical ailments that maybe just posturing to go to the bathroom is uncomfortable. And so we'll see that as a common reason, but anything else, we see cats with kidney disease, we see cats with thyroid issues, uh, anything like that can affect their uh, water intake and their bathroom habits. And that can therefore affect whether they choose to use the box or not. But once you ruled all that stuff out, then we get into the fun stuff of, are they stressed out for some reason? Is there another cat in the house or maybe a dog that's affect like preventing them from being able to access the box? They're just blocking it. Uh, Do they not like the box? Most of the litter boxes out there are way too small. So especially as some of our cats have trended bigger and bigger over time, our boxes have not grown to accommodate that. And they may even be trying to go in the box and be going over the side, or they may say, this is really uncomfortable. I'm going to go over to this area where I have more space and use that. So there's a lot of other factors in the environment or social factors that can affect That's just the litter box question. Of course, the aggression and all that can also be affected by any of those factors as well. So definitely evaluating your cat's health as soon as you notice any change in behavior is the first step. And then we can kind of focus on those other factors once we've ruled that out. No, yeah. And it it totally makes a load of sense that, you know, health and pain affect behavior. Because if you think about your own mental health, you know, if you're in pain, if you broke your leg, if you have chronic pain, anything, you're just not going to be very happy about it. And so it's really just, yeah, it's important to address that root cause first before going, oh man, I'm mad at my cat for, because he urinated on the carpet. Well, there's something else going on there. Exactly. And there's even been some research studies done recently showing at least over half of cats over the age of six have evidence of arthritis on x-rays. And we're not very good at finding that on physical exams. So some of the things we rely on most are pet parents telling us things like he's not jumping as much, or sometimes he misses, or we're having bathroom problems. And those can be the first signs that we have pain somewhere. So it's already been documented that that is a really important aspect of catching a physical illness in your cat. 
Yeah, no, that's so curious. But you're very right that, you know, cats are elusive creatures. They're mysterious. You don't really know what's going on. And so how can pet parents know if their cat is in pain? That's an excellent question. And one of those studies that I was referring to looked at some of this, what were the most common signs people reported? And it was things like a change in their gait. So the way that they're walking or moving, I actually have a cat that has some hip arthritis. And the first thing I noticed was one day I came home and he normally walks up to me with that big question mark tail and his tail (laughs) was down. I was like, what's wrong? Something's going on. (laughs) And that was the first thing I noticed. So it's just something different. We'll see that maybe they're not jumping as much or not using stairs as much. They actually may not be grooming as well. So the contortion of, I mean, we see the acrobatics cats go into to get their grooming uh, situation taken care of. And so that may suddenly be uncomfortable or more difficult to do. So they may look kind of rough or unkempt or dirty uh, because they're not taking care of themselves as well anymore. And just a decrease in activity overall, just if they're just not moving around as much, that's something you would want to be looking into. But when it comes down to it with cats, there's always an exception to every rule. It's one of the things I love about cat behavior. So I always say like, you know, your cat, most cat people are very in tune with their cats. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Those of us that call ourselves cat people. And so if something changes, take note of it. And it's worth getting that checked out because your cat may be exhibiting a discomfort or a problem in a different way than the typical cat. So definitely worth following up on if you notice any changes at all. No, yeah, I love that because there we have so many conversations here where it's like, okay, you have these rules, you have all of these exceptions. And the bottom line is, yeah, you have to be an advocate for your own individual pet who may be different than everybody else's pets. So, yeah. Yeah, I recently saw a cat that one of the big changes we noticed, well, the owner noticed, I won't say I noticed it, but (laughs) we reported was that the other cat's behavior towards that cat had changed. And I was like, that's not normal. Something's going on. We got to go looking for something. But, you know, it's a subtle thing that people may not think about. And it wasn't even that cat that was the difference. But something's going on because they're all acting differently around him. Weird things happen. <laughs> no, that's awesome. I mean, all in the power of just observation and knowing your pets. So that's really yeah. awesome. And so then what can pet parents do to either help their cats, not only at home, but at the vet clinic when it comes to just behavior and making sure they're comfortable? Yeah. So it potentially makes a difference when you got your cat, right? If you're you're starting off with a little tiny baby kitten at six weeks old before socialization is completely ended, you may have a little more room to do things like expose them in a positive way to lots of people and places and go to the vet and make it a fun thing. Some places even have kitty kindergarten classes where the goal is just to make the vet fun and get them used to oh, shots mean squeeze cheese and, you know, fun things like that. And so if you start early and you have a social cat, you may be able to end up with a cat that's, you know, one of those hiking cats on the trails you see on Instagram, you know, out there enjoying the world, which would be great. But not every cat's going to fall into that category. Some of them are way too scared, even when they're tiny, like the one that started me on my behavior journey, or you're getting a cat that's maybe a year or 10 years old, you know, people are adopting seniors more, which is so cool to see. And so what we want to do is individually tailor the plan to each cat. And the general rule is you want to try to make sure they're always proactively getting medical care. 
And that involves making the vet visit as enjoyable as possible, or at least as little terrible as we can possibly (laughs) make it, right? So we can't necessarily make everything completely fear-free, let's say, but we can make it less traumatic so that they are less likely to get more scared over time or start to use aggression to say, hey, I'm not comfortable with this. So working with your vet and finding a place you feel comfortable that is going to maybe let you hang out with your cat during the exam and treatments or is offering them lots of food and offering other things like pheromones and uh, toys and things like that to potentially keep them busy and focused on during the vet visit is going to make you more comfortable taking your cat to the vet. Therefore, they will go more often and get more proactive health care. So that's good for their health and their mental health long term. At home, don't let your cat get bored. Bored cats get into trouble. (laughs) And, And I don't often say things like enrichment can fix behavior problems, but sometimes it does with cats in particular, because we've taken these very active outdoor creatures and we put them inside for safety reasons and health reasons, which makes sense but we need to give them plenty of things to do. And they would spend most of their time out in the world hunting. So we've got to give them, even if they're just watching a little toy moving around, that's still engaging their brain and keeping them, you know, uh, thinking about stuff and problem solving. And so working for their food is great. Offering as much enrichment as we can in the form of maybe a cat garden, or maybe your cat is one that will let you teach it to get comfortable on a harness and you can take it for controlled walks so they can experience the world outside. The more we can keep their brains busy and keep them physically moving, hopefully the less likely we are to see behavior problems pop up over time. Yeah, these are just fantastic tips because I mean, when you think about taking your own pet to the vet, you know, it's either you have a shaking dog or the cat is cowering inside the carrier. When you think about yourself going to the physician, it's not great. No one likes to go to the doctor, but you're never in that amount of stress. And like, you don't generally fear the physician as much as a lot of these animals do. And so I know that your your veterinary clinic is fear-free certified. And so I'd love to hear a little bit more about, you know, the clinic's perspective side of things and what you guys are doing to just give pets more of a fear-free vet experience. Yeah, so I'm really one of the reasons I kind of sought out this practice is all of the doctors are fear-free certified. Our medical director is elite fear-free certified, and we're working to get a lot of the support staff fear-free certified as well, um, which is, in in my opinion, the idea is that it's just a complete framework shift of how we're approaching, how we interact with our patients and our pet parents as well, how we are interacting with them and how we're recognizing each interaction can have long-lasting effects on our patients. So not just focusing on what's happening today, but focusing on their long-term mental health. So obviously I see a lot of patients that are scared like to the extreme or maybe are aggressive because they're scared and things like that. And so a lot of times I may have a conversation during my appointments that I'm not going to examine your pet today because they are incredibly stressed and the risk of trauma is not worth it. So we're going to revisit this in the future with something on board to help reduce that stress potentially. But 
sometimes my colleagues may have to do something today to a sick pet, right? It has to happen now. So what can we possibly do to reduce their stress in that moment? And so we may have to use medications or sedatives to help reduce a really stressful experience, but you'd be surprised how much a difference, uh, something like just allowing the cat to stay in the bottom of their carrier, covering it with a towel so they can't quite see us. A lot of them just want to hide. So if you give them that option, they're much happier and just kind of, you know, working around them instead of physically picking them up and moving them from place to place all the time. Um, being aware of what noises are happening, what kind of music are we playing? Is it something like upbeat and heavy on the bass that might stress out our patients? Or can we maybe transition to something that might be a little more calming so that that aspect of things is less stressful? Keeping in mind smells and everything that they're seeing and just all of our approaches, you know, the traditional walk up to a dog and lean over and stick your hand out is really kind of a boogeyman approach <laughs> for a lot of dogs. Even the excitable, oh my gosh, I'm so happy and excited to see this puppy reaction can really freak out some dogs. And so trying to be just more aware of how we're approaching things, calm and soothing in our movements and our approach can really make a big difference. So we can get a lot more done at that appointment, even if it's not going to be perfect. And then as soon as we're done, can we offer them something good to distract them? So I have a patient I saw today who needed some blood work and he did have a little bit of medication on board, but he was still worried and he didn't want to eat during the blood draw. But right afterwards, he was willing to come up to our team and take the food afterwards. So he's recovering better, which means this wasn't overly traumatic for him. So hopefully vet visits will continue to be a less than scary experience as we move forward. I absolutely love this mindset shift. I think it's it's so important. And I so I worked at a vet clinic and this was a while ago. This was back when I was in high school. But there were a lot of things that looking back now, I was like, oh, that just that was not a very fear-free practice. You know, the the metal exam room tables that are slippery. Yeah, the music playing in the front desk just because, you know, the person who's on there likes Metallica and is like, okay, we're playing Metallica today because I feel like it. Or, you know, even yeah, just running in between the exam rooms, going, okay, quick quickly, quickly, like, okay, let, let me approach you with this stethoscope or this thermometer just to get your intake, like in the interest of time, which when you slow down, think about it, that wasn't great for the pet. So, you know, I just, I love that this is a movement that's really taking shape now and that a lot of people are starting to make that shift because it's, it's definitely important. And it's oftentimes just something you don't really think about until somebody calls it to your attention. And then you're like, yeah, it's time to change. Yeah. Exactly. And to your point about getting things done fast, people tend to think that doing things fear-free means you're going to be slow. And that's not really the case. If you're doing it right, you should be moving along at a nice clip and getting things done faster. And hopefully that's an investment long-term that it will continue to be faster for that pet rather than having to be a rodeo next time they come in. And we also want to keep in mind, this is good from the clinic's perspective for our team as well, because none of us got into vet medicine because we like to terrify animals. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean, I really so. Nobody I've ever met 
got into it for that reason. And so going home at the end of the day, feeling like you have patients that were enjoying being there or got the care that they needed and the best medicine because they weren't so stressed out that we were struggling to get things done or to interpret their lab results, it's going to make you feel better. And unfortunately, in veterinary medicine, we do have a higher than average suicide rate. So the mental health of our team is important as well. So we want people to enjoy the job and feel like as fulfilled as possible and be low stress for them too. Yeah, no, and then, and not even, not to mention that you could actually probably go so much faster as a fear-free physician because you're not spending all this time trying to corral the animal or chase them down or get them to calm down. It's, you're calm from the start. So I think it's, you save time, you save animals. It's fantastic. And it's actually the perfect segue then into our Mela signature question. So every guest who comes on this show gets to answer this question, which we have not changed in many, many episodes. <laughs> and so what does pet health and wellness mean to you in today's day and age? So this is one I had the hardest time thinking of an answer for. I was like, oh my gosh, this feels like it should be something really deep. But That's I why think- I send it ahead of time. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. I think what I've landed on is to me, it means looking at the entire patient. It's that's what truly holistic medicine is, is not just focusing on the bladder infection that they're here for today, but also focusing on what's happening in their environment, what's going on, you know, in social interactions, what's their mental health look like, because we're getting to a point you just, I know not everybody's favorite thing is behavior, but you can't really get away from it in vet medicine anymore. It's it's part of things all the time. And the sooner we catch issues by just asking simple questions like, are you having any problems with your cat going to the bathroom outside of the litter box could prevent things from getting worse in the long run. So I think we're also looking at more holistic therapies in terms of um we're looking at potentially using nutrition in the future as being a way to treat uh, mental health disorders in addition to the physical orders that we use it for. And so really, I think it's about just looking at the whole patient and not missing things so that we can provide the best possible medicine and be the best doctors that we can be. I love that. I think that's a fantastic answer. And so as we wrap up this episode, unfortunately, I know it was very short and everybody wants to learn a little bit more. And so for those listeners, what are some other resources that they can read up on just to learn a little bit more about their cat's behavior? Sure. There are a couple of good resources out there. I mean, fearfreehappyhomes.com is the fear-free website for pet parents. It's got some great information on it. Ohio State's Veterinary Medicine School has uh, the Indoor Pet Initiative, which has a lot of great stuff on it for both dogs and cats, but there's a specific page on what are possible things that could stress your cat out and what to do about it, which is great. There are a couple of books out there that are awesome. Um, There's one Dr. Radosta and Dr. Marty Becker were part of writing, which is Fear Free, uh, From Fearful to Fear Free. The American College of Veterinary Behaviorists recently released um, Decoding Your Cat, which is the cat, you know, pair to their earlier book, Decoding Your Dog, which are great places to start. Uh, So there's a lot of good information out there. And those are great places to get you started. 
Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing those resources. So now everybody can click off of this episode and learn a little bit more about their cat's behavior. But Dr. S, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a fantastic chat. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I had a great time. Thanks for having me. Thank you all for listening and make sure to check out the show notes for all links to everything mentioned in this episode. Head over to www.mela.ai to learn more about what's happening over here at Mela Pet Care and for more ways to keep your pet healthy and happy. And don't forget to check out the Pet Vet Exchange on LinkedIn and Instagram today. Thank you.